0: Hi, this is Bill Hirsch, author of The Well-Centered Home, and if you want to improve your communication skills, you need to be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with Greg Rice.
1: Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life, so let's start the conversation with your host, Greg
2: Rice. What is up today, guys? Today, I sit down with Bill Hirsch. Bill is an architect. He's been an architect for over 30 years, but he's also the author of The Well-Centered Home, Simple Steps to Increase Mindfulness, Self-Awareness, and Happiness Where You Live. And Bill is specifically fascinated by the way that your living spaces impact your your mood and your overall mindset. And in the book, he shows you how to make your home a recharging station for your emotional and psychological self. So this took me down a much deeper path than I expected around the importance of how my living space is organized. Um, Some of the things we talked about, right, how improving our living space can also improve our communication skills, which is really interesting. We talked about the four different home bodies. These are really different personality types, and they're different needs from their living spaces. There's actually a quiz in the book that you can take to see which one that you are we talked about how to be a Sacagawea for your clients, right? Sacagawea led Lewis Lewis and Clark um, to the west coast, even though they didn't, they knew they wanted to go west, right, but they didn't really know where they were gonna end up, right? And as an architect, he designs homes for people and buildings for people who struggle in a similar way like they kind of know the direction they want to go in but they don't really know what they want and these are some of the biggest decisions of their lives so I thought that this was a really interesting point for anybody helping their clients through a big sales process and then we even talked about how to engage with your children around the dinner table something that um, he takes pride in doing now his children are grown but um, he has some great tips on how to facilitate great conversations throughout the family so listen in for that So overall, this was a new angle on communication for me, um, that your living space could really impact your communication skills in any given moment, but I found it to be super interesting and and really useful, so I hope that you do too. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on the Art of Communication podcast today. Really excited to get to chat with you.
0: Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: For sure, for sure. So we'll be talking a lot about your book, The Well-Centered Home, but I'd love to just kind of start out by understanding how you got on this path around the well-centered home?
0: Well, it's sort of been over the course of my entire career. I've been designing buildings, and in particular, residential architecture homes for uh, decades or more, and I've learned a few things along the way. And I've always been quite interested in how people respond to buildings on an emotional and psychological level uh, I had a degree in psychology that sort of got me uh, interested, uh, sort of a side interest in psychology while I was studying architecture, and then all, I would incorporate things into my designs that would uh, be aimed towards improving that uh, that feeling, the reception that you would have uh, psychologically, and how you'd feel about the buildings and homes particularly trying to make a house feel like a home. And then just a year or so ago, I kind of had a light bulb moment where it dawned on me that I could communicate this in words to uh, people who aren't trained architects, but in ways where they would understand and appreciate the concepts. And then I could also give them specific things to do to improve how... felt about their homes and how their homes could benefit them on an emotional and uh, psychological level.
2: And I find the discussion around how spaces can impact folks emotionally and and psychologically really interesting. So tell me a little bit about what a well-centered home does for us when, when we kind of achieve that objective.
0: Well, I can describe it this way. If you think of a place you've been to, or a place you go to repeatedly, that when you arrive there, you feel your stress level go down. You feel a more comfortable sensation all around you. It has to do with how it looks, has to do with its size, uh, or what we call scale. It has to do with a lot of things, but you become more comfortable and more centered by being there. And we spend over 70% of our lives in our homes. And with the current virus, it's way more than that. And our <laughs> homes have a significant impact on us uh, emotionally and psychologically that we might not overtly realize. But there are ways that we can improve our homes uh, through seemingly small things, uh, some large things you can do, but mostly small things that will allow your home to impart that same sort of sensation that favorite place does for you, but your home would do it too. So you would arrive home from a busy day and you would start to have that calming, de-stressing, kind of the big exhale kind of uh, feeling when you walk in. And that is uh, what a well-centered home can do for you. It can change you emotionally and help you become centered
2: hmm Can you share maybe, I don't know, two or three examples of, you know, small things you can do to, to, to kind of make your home feel well-centered? And I know that it might depend somewhat uh, on kind of what your personality is, so we'll get into that in a minute. But I'm just curious just to give folks right. a feel for kind of the things that we're talking about here.
0: One of the universal things you can do is to enhance what I call earth grounding. And earth grounding is your connection with nature. So the more you can see out, and remind yourself of your place in nature the more you can see the uh the organic and uh naturally growing aspects of the world that are around us the happier you'll be in your home mm. and this also relates to uh anchoring another principle i talk about which helps us know where we stand in our community and in our in our town and where we are in the universe, and it puts you in a state of awareness about who you are and where you are. So the earth grounding principle can be enhanced easily by improving your views out of windows, enhancing what you see out the window, putting an ornamental plant right on a, a focal point that you would see every time you passed a particular window, or bringing earth grounding Elements into your home, like having uh, plants inside the house or having images of nature. Seascapes or landscapes can substitute for actual views of nature. When you, if you have a home that doesn't allow that, suppose you lived in a small apartment mm-hmm. and you only had windows on one side, you're not going to have as much earth grounding uh, connection as you might otherwise but you can remedy that by adding in these images of nature. And this has been medically proven to be beneficial for people who are recovering from illnesses or operations, that when they're in an environment that connects them with nature, they recover faster, dramatically faster, than if they're in a more institutional, sterile, sterile type of uh, environment. So we want to provide that in your home so that you get that rejuvenating, life-restoring effect in your home. You don't have to do anything but occupy your home. But if you've provided these connections, you'll end up with uh, with the benefit.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating to me on so many levels. Um, from a communication perspective, something that comes to mind is that how you're communicating with others in a given situation is so dependent upon your mood that you're in, right? If you're in a bad mood, my communication with my child is going to be very different than if I'm in a good mood. But to take the step (laughs) back and think about how your living space impacts your mood and how that can therefore have a big impact upon the communication, the conversations you might have with your kids or your coworkers or anybody else is really interesting to think about.
0: Sure, sure. If you're in your so-called happy place, then you're gonna deal with all of the stresses and strains and interactions a whole lot better. And your your home can put you into that frame of mind uh, when you uh, create a well-centered home, when you center your home better than it might already be. And
2: yeah, so by centering your home, you can become a better communicator, which is pretty awesome. I think that's really, really a- cool.
0: Absolutely, you'd be more receptive to other ideas too which is of course important to communicating
2: yeah yeah so another thing that really jumped out at me from your book from a communication perspective is you talk a lot about the different personalities of folks and the different needs they have from their homes and how that can lead them down a different path of what they need to do from a centering perspective so i'd love for you to talk a little bit about kind of how you came up with that construct and and just tell us a little bit about the different personalities and their needs
0: Right. We've identified four primary, what we call homebody types, which are effectively personality types. Uh, there's the Astaire, named for Fred Astaire, who's the more outgoing uh, person who needs other people around them to feel happy. Uh, there's the Galileo, who would be a more uh, technically oriented uh, person who wants to know. Uh, how things work there would be the nightingale who would be the comforter uh, nurturer who would be more related to uh, organic living and healthful living and then there's the plato who is the philosopher the contemplative personality type who wants to know why things work and they and each of those four personality types or what we call homebody types has certain preferences and tendencies. And by identifying your home body type, the things you do to center your home can be more focused on you and more tailored to you specifically. Now, these aren't meant to categorize you and pigeonhole you. They're meant to be informative. It's helping you understand yourself more. And unlike other personality type tests, you can put more than one answer into each of the 20 questions that are in the quiz. So you can find out what your secondary tendencies might be too. So it becomes very, even though we don't have 16 different personality types, you can find that you're, say, a Plato with Nightingale uh, tendencies. And that can inform a number of your decisions that you'd make as you're working about centering your home.
2: I think it's really helpful because when I think about decorating my office, say which I'm sitting in right now, right, or decorating my house in any way, I'm not very, very talented decorator to, to say the least. But <laughs> like you say, well, well, what should I do? What would I want? And I really don't know, right? I think I like a plant. I think that'd be nice and some nice artwork and right. stuff. But I really don't even know where to start, um, other than like trial and error. But then you spend a bunch of money trying stuff that you don't really like. So I think it gives you a really good place to start in some direction as you're thinking about making decisions.
0: Sure. And in my book, um, I have even some color palette suggestions for the four homebody types to kind of get you started. Again, they're not meant to be, these are the only colors that work for you, but they can give you some confirmation of your preferences and they can head you in the right direction. You know, when I go with my clients to make uh, selections for their homes or other decisions they're going to make, many times my role isn't to make the decision for them, Mm -hmm. but to reassure them that their own decisions are going to work and be accurate for them. It helps to have somebody say, yep, good choice. And that's really what the uh, homebody descriptions in my book are meant to do? Do you prefer uh, curved uh, forms, or do you like things that are more angular? Do you like bright uh, lights, or do you like more subdued lighting? And
1: uh,
0: again, not totally uh, dictating to you what you should or shouldn't do, but to just kind of give you encouragement and to confirm your own feelings, give you a second opinion, so to speak, that makes you feel a little more comfortable with what you're choosing.
2: Yeah, and that brings up another interesting topic that we talked a bit about before. Um, And then your work as an architect, right? And that these folks are coming to you to help them design probably the most important thing they're gonna design in their entire lives, that they're gonna have to live in for a number of years. And I know we went through a home building process with our builder here a couple of years ago, and we were like in a community, right? So we had, we weren't from scratch. We had options to pick from, but it was right. really, really hard to make all those decisions. And I'm curious how you go about the art of helping folks make those decisions for themselves when they don't even really know what they want in the first place, when it's such an important decision as well.
0: Right. Well, I sometimes refer to myself as the guide. I'm like Sacagawea, you know, <laughs> where uh, Lewis and Clark knew they wanted to get to the other side of the continent, but they didn't know how to get there, and they needed an expert guide who knew the way through the process. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I'm not trying to select things for my clients, but I'm trying to point out the pros and cons of different decisions, and prioritize what decision has to be made before other decisions and and all of that sort of thing. And then we go talk to people who are experts in each of those areas and they offer them guidance. I have had clients who said, just give me three pallets of choices to pick from because the having 200 choices of tile is overwhelming. You don't mm-hmm. know where to start. And sometimes that's helpful too. But usually uh, if you pick one thing that's critically important to you, uh, material or colors or whatever, and you say, that's what I want to build everything around, other decisions will start to fall into place because they either agree with what you're trying to achieve or they don't. So you set up your parameters and that's your uh, scorecard for whether decisions are supporting your goal, the concepts, or not. I find that that's really important in a lot of things, is to step back and determine where the heck are you going? You know, what are you trying to do? And then you'll know whether things are right or wrong. And if they don't support what you're trying to do, get rid of them. And if they do support what you're trying to do, then add them into your effort.
2: I think it's important advice for a lot of different things. For instance, if you're out there selling really complex solutions in the B2B space that have a thousand different options to them, helping your client think through things in that way, focused on what are they trying to accomplish, what need are they trying to solve, can be a really powerful way to do it versus here's a thousand things, what do you want? You know, It's really hard for them right. to make a decision in that context.
0: Sure. Well, as architects, we prepare, at the beginning of a project, we prepare what we call a program which is not a roadmap to get to the end, but it's telling you what uh, criteria you are trying to satisfy and what your objectives are. Uh, You know, one of my overused phrases is I tell people that if you don't know where you're going, you'll never know when you get there. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, so you don't just get in your car and start driving to go, oh yeah, I did want to go to this store, which (laughs) you happen to go buy. No, you get in your car, you go, I'm going to this store and then you plan your way to get there. Well, designing your home or centering your home or doing anything should be done in very much the same way. And then you can sort of sort your way through the distractions that come up. and, And in designing your home, you may have a lot of great ideas, but they're for another home. They don't support your goal. So you move them aside and you keep the ones that actually do put you on the path to the to the final goal that you've already determined when you put together your program.
2: So back to the personality concept. So, you know, I have five kids, four teenagers and my wife. So between the seven of us, we might all be different personalities. How do we go about centering our home around so many different personalities?
0: Well, it sort of comes down to everyone needs their own turf need to have your safe space. And safe space does not mean physically safe. It means kind of emotionally safe. Uh, you know, our sense of security can have a lot to do with just how we feel, has mostly to do about with what, how we feel, and not really physical security. So, you know, if you think about it, uh, young kids, they'll have their security blanket or their stuffed animal. And as soon as they're holding that, they are in their safe and secure place, no matter where they are. And, and this is important, and we never lose this as we grow older, and we still need that space. So in a, in a home with, with a number of people, you just need to make sure that you address that condition that gives everybody that place, which could be quite small, but mm-hmm. it's theirs. And, and if somebody steps into that space, they're a visitor to that space. They're, they're not taking it over. But Then on the other hand, you want to prosper interaction and communication with each individual. So you might think about having places where two people would be comfortable interacting. Uh, you might have a place where four people could interact. Maybe there's a family game table or something like that, and it's designed for that number of people. And then you can—you would certainly want to have places where the entire family gathers in an appropriately scaled space, and they can interact as a group. And, you know, the dining table is usually a good spot for that uh-huh. uh, at a prescribed time of day, and everybody gets together and touches base.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I know that brings up another thing that we had talked about before, more of a personal thing, but the way that you had kind of handled family dinners within your family. And I think it's an interesting point, especially from a communication perspective and staying connected with your children and teaching them on a daily basis. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that if you would be willing to.
0: Sure, sure. Well, my wife and I always felt that it was very important for the family to get together. We raised four children so we had plenty of people around <laughs> and uh and the family dinner table became that spot and that time of day was dinner where people got together and it had a constancy about it so even as the kids got older uh and they were off doing things in high school uh where they couldn't be there at dinner time th- they still knew the dinner time conversation and the the getting together at the dinner table was still going to happen. So it was like an anchor in the day, and it was your opportunity. If you had something to ask everybody in the family or you had something interesting that happened to you that you wanted to share with everybody, or what I would do, I uh, would bring a topic to the table, something in the news or something what happened on this date historically – to really stimulate the conversation uh, in the family. And I was also helping to teach my kids basic knowledge that I was mm-hmm. hoping they were getting in school, but I was gonna make sure that they did. And, uh, and our kids uh, grew to love this, even though sometimes they rolled roll their eyes when I would ask them <laughs> questions. But I remember that one of our, our kids, when he was little, He told us that he really liked our dinner
2: combinations,
0: (laughs) of course, meaning our conversations. But these were important to him. And I think that our uh, our kids have kept this tradition, if you will, going, because I think that modern families tend to migrate away from that. And, you know, if you're going to communicate with anybody, it's got to be with your family.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point and a cool approach, especially for maybe an entrepreneur who is spending so much time on their business. They got to take the time out on a daily basis. I have the thought of an anchor, right? An anchor with their family every day um, to build connection and communication. I think that's great.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's it's home base. It's the place you touch each day, and as you probably have, and I I always had, uh, almost always worked. Out of an office, out of my house, you know that's one zone that uh, the kids don't intrude upon because you know, Dad or mom's at work there. Um, but then when you're sitting at the dinner table, that's the time where interaction is not only allowed, but highly encouraged. That's what it's for. Not about eating the meal. It's mm-hmm. about getting together, and the television's turned off and and all of that. The phones are put away and you're there, you got to suffer through it, kids, because this is going to be important in the long run. But then I, we found that the kids really did like it and really did appreciate it.
2: Very cool. I'm going to have to think about how to approach that in my house. I think it's a great idea.
0: <laughs> our, so, different... I'm going to say our, our kids would talk about this to their friends, and a lot of their friends were surprised that we did this. But
2: it you know, worked. indeed and helps them become independent thinkers too i think which is great
0: and Uh, and some well-rounded uh knowledge of things so they'd be able to carry on a conversation with almost anybody and be able to speak knowledgeably or learn to listen to what the other person has to say and learn a few things from them all good things to be able to do
2: absolutely absolutely So to change topics a little bit, something we talk about often, especially as it relates to leadership, is that everything that you do communicates something, right? How you dress, your posture, um, how you walk into a room, all those things communicate something even if you don't mean them to. And I think that also applies to your living space and your house and all those kinds of things. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how we communicate to others by how we're decorating and managing our living spaces.
0: Well, I think that if you, we could look at this at a couple of different levels. If you have guests over to your house and you have uh, an appropriately arranged space that induces conversation, uh, your guests will feel that. You don't have to uh, tell them, now's the time we start talking. You know, (laughs) the arrangement of the furniture and uh, the views you might have there are, are all important. You know, one principle for arranging furniture for conversation is to not have the seating be directly opposed from one chair opposed to, uh, from the other. That, you know, if I walked up to you and we started to chat, we would not tend to look straight face on at each other. That's an aggressive approach. And we all sense this. We would tend to stand at slight angles even though we're talking directly to each other Mm -hmm. and your furniture should be arranged in that way too. Uh, I know that it it, like, if you had two opposing love seats and you sat down in one side of that love seat, I would probably sit in the one that's diagonal uh, across from you and not the one that's directly opposed to you. And it makes you wonder why, well, it's, it's that, uh, I don't want your like, right-in-my-face kind of feeling that we okay. have. So if you can open up seating groups, you're going to commu- communicate that you like to communicate, uh, and that would be uh, a good thing. The, uh, the items that you have in your home uh, also express your personality and your interests, so they, they would be important, too. You're going to, whether you know it or not, uh, kind of convey what your home body type is by the things that you've chosen to put in your home, and uh, where your furniture arrangements and and everything direct your view. So all those things are are kind of critical, uh, and you're going to do a lot of them, innately, uh, just because you like them. Uh, but you know, my effort in my book is to help people think about this on. Um, in a more overt way so that they can make more conscious decisions and and uh, increase the positive effect.
2: Yeah, it's also, I think it's equally applicable to your office if you're in an office, right, in a building, or how you align and seat your team, right, if you're designing what your space is going to look like for your team. Um, I think it's all very applicable to those situations as well.
0: Sure, and <laughs> some important parts of, of those uh, spaces have to do with proper lighting you know are you there's light behind you and casting a shadow on your work uh, or are you squinting at your computer screen because there's such a bright window behind it where you, you turned it to the side and let the light come in from the side where you can still look out the window occasionally so you're not staring at your screen but when you look at your screen you can see it clearly these are all important factors that make your space be more effective. And another big part of the home office uh, effect is to define the edges of it. And that could be a screen that or a potted plant that says, okay, this corner of the room is now the office, or it could be a totally separate room.
2: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, so if I had to ask you to sum up kind of the key takeaway from the book in one statement, what would that be?
0: Uh, That your home can be the recharging station for your psyche and your emotional well-being. That uh, don't discount its effect. It's there, it's important, and you can uh, manipulate or uh, improve it so that that effect is more pronounced and more positive. And it will put you uh, mentally in a better place, a place you'll be very happy to be.
2: Which will also help you be a better communicator, like we (laughs) talked about before. Exactly Um, right. I think it's probably an area a lot of us don't think much about as far as how it impacts our mood or how stressed or unstressed (laughs) or recharging it makes us feel or not recharging. So I think it's an interesting component, and folks might be surprised at the impact it could have on them.
0: Well, sure, if you have a lower stress level, you're gonna be better at everything. Mm-hmm. And and you're going to communicate that through your body language and the way you speak. And so uh, there's a huge benefit to putting yourself in that position. And if you're trying to communicate something that you def- definitely want the other person to understand and receive that communication, the more composed you are about uh, presenting it, the more effectively you you will be communicating it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So just a couple more questions that, that I like to ask everybody who I have on the show. The first one is around the importance of conversations. And I think a, a conversation can really change the path you take in life and can have a big impact on you. So I always like to ask my guests if there's one conversation that they can point to in their lives that had a big impact on the direction that they ended up taking.
0: Sure. Well, I can think back to one back when I was in in uh, college, in mm. graduate school. I was at the University of Virginia and studying architecture, fine university. Very loyal to my university. Following <laughs> um, on Thomas
2: Jefferson's architectural steps, right?
0: Absolutely.
2: I've been to Monticello, beautiful place.
0: Right, but I got it in my head that I thought it would be a good idea to transfer to Harvard, which I could have done because I had done well in school. By then, I had grown up and did well in school. <laughs> earlier life, earlier life was not as easy. Anyhow, I talked to a professor of mine, Philip Dole, who. Um, had become quite a friend and a mentor. And he said, well, why would you want to do that? Uh, he said, you you are well thought of here. You know the ropes. Why don't you instead figure out a way that you can do independent study and plot your own course through your through your academics instead of just signing up for the classes that are the next in line? And I took that to heart and I Uh, combined my psychology degree with my studies of architecture, and I did independent research on cognition and architecture. Uh, I designed a uh, a new type of psychiatric hospital for my uh, thesis project, where it was basically a village rather than a large institutional building. And that completely set me on the path of thinking about the psychology in architecture And, you know, ultimately led me to this book that I have right now, but it influenced all the buildings I've ever designed and particularly the homes I've designed for people. So that conversation with somebody whose opinion I valued was was critical for me.
2: That's great. That's great. Just curious, in your opinion, do a lot of architects think about the cognitive and emotional impacts spaces have?
0: Unfortunately, I don't think they do because it's not... A topic that's brought up in school. Mm-hmm. And so uh, architects tend to get to be very object oriented. We end up, and a lot of architects design objects rather than design spaces. And I like to prefer I prefer to think that I put objects around spaces to define them. Uh, which now we're kind of getting into architectural theory, but (laughs) then I add in the factor of how does that space feel? How do I respond to that? You know, one of the examples I'll use is if you took your comfy chair at home and you put it out in the middle of a basketball court and sat down in it, are you as comfortable as you would have been in your living room? No, because the scale is way off. The basketball court arena has not defined the space around you the way that your living room does. If you took it and crammed it into a tiny closet, you're not as comfortable. There's some appropriate scale to things. And we as architects should be designing with that in mind and the appropriate scale creates the appropriate psychological response or reaction to it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I wish more architects would would get onto this, and who knows, maybe my book will touch a nerve and and get people thinking about it.
2: I hope so. I hope so. So any architects listening, um, definitely pick up the book and, and dig into those concepts a little bit more. I think they're really important. Um, so second question, as you think about all, all that you've accomplished, all the challenges you've had to date, um, if there is one communication skill that you could have had in more abundance that would have made it all a lot easier, what would that have been?
0: I would say that that would be to avoid speaking negatively and always speak positively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and an example that I will give has to do with interviewing for jobs when i inter- when I would interview with somebody to be hopefully selected to be the architect, I would make a uh, a concerted effort to never say anything negative about any other architect, especially ones they might be talking to. but if I thought that I had an advantage over, the other architect, and I want to express that to my potential client, I would say something like, you know, you should expect your architect to do this for you, and here's how I will do this for you. Now I've told them, uh, I've given them a question to ask the next person, and I've answered it in a positive way for me, but I didn't say anything negative about the other person. And nor do I want to, because as soon as I say something negative, it demeans me. And I want to be on that high road wherever possible. Plus, I don't want to say something negative about the other person. But this has proven to be a very effective way of informing the person who's interviewing me uh, of things they should be looking for in in their architect. And then me having a chance to show them how I would fulfill that. That need, and then uh, all I can say is I've had a very good batting average for getting selected when I get to the interview stage, so if the other guy can uh, answer the question, well well good for him that's that's nice, and if they select the other guy over me, that's okay too. I had my opportunity but saying saying negative things, you know I wish I could put this into the political advertising but Uh, that'll be the day that ever happens. But it seems to me that you elevate yourself by speaking in the positive and you demean yourself. uh, You you knock yourself down by speaking in the negative.
2: Another great sales tactic there, right? If you have a competitive strength, play it up as your strength, something the client should expect um, from all the vendors you're talking to. And then that sheds a light on your competitor's weakness instead of saying, ah, they're just terrible at this, which makes you look bad right um, you're so
0: th- you're informing your your customer or client uh, and but you're not saying anything negative,
2: yeah, exactly and a tremendous approach. Last question for you, who is the best communicator that you know, no. either know of or know personally, and why do you say that about them?
0: oh this is uh, this is a hard one i I don't know i you know we've had politicians who have been very good communicators. Mm -hmm. I would say that, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was particularly effective. And this is completely aside from the political viewpoints Mm -hmm. of him, Mm -hmm. but but he was just a a champion at this. He he knew the right tone of voice. He knew the right uh, way to put his words together. And he never got into an abrasive confrontational uh, uh, persona and it made it hard to not like him when you heard him talking. And you could disagree with what he wanted wanted to do. That's fine. But he never lets you get angry with him. <laughs> uh, so I would say, you know, I didn't know him personally, but I would say he would be a model communicator. Well, they called him the great communicator, didn't they?
2: Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah, there's a good reason for that, right? Right, right. So very yeah, cool. And I
0: know... Um, you know, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who's actually a uh, an appliance uh, dealer and he has the radio voice. He has that resonant radio voice, which mm-hmm. is a big advantage from the start. But he's immediately your friend when he talks to you and you feel uh, so uh, great. His name is Stu Stewart. Uh,
2: <laughs> it's a friendly <laughs> name.
0: even got the friendly name. And he, you feel like he's only concerned about you when he's talking to you, which, you know, goes along with that positive approach to, uh, communicating. So I'd say those would be a couple of examples that come to mind that, that I know of.
2: So we'll have to make sure we share this with both Stu and Ronald. Um, I'm sure they'll both be excited about it. Um, so final, final question, where can folks find you to see what you're up to? um, the official title of the book and where can they find it and, and anything else that you'd like to share?
0: Well, the official title of the book is the well-centered home, simple steps to increase mindfulness, self-awareness and happiness where you live. And you can find out about, and you can find the book on amazon.com. It's uh, both a uh, paperback and ebook version. And very soon the audio version should be available. And then you can also learn more about it at the website, which is www.wellcenteredhome.com. Or you can uh, follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash centeryourhome slash. And that should uh, keep you in touch. And I'd love to hear from people, especially after they take the homebody quiz to let (laughs) me know whether they feel it was an accurate reflection of them and whether it was helpful to them.
2: And you said before the feedback's been pretty positive around that, right? Like you've been hearing folks say, this is an accurate reflection. It feels right for me.
0: Right. I had one person say they they took the quiz, uh, or they no, they didn't tell me they took the quiz. They said, tell me what a Galileo homebody type might like. And I went about describing a few things And she said, well, you just described my office. (laughs) She said, I took the homebody quiz and I was strongly a Galileo. And uh, you described it right down to the private corner for contemplation with the winged back chair to increase the privacy. So
2: That's great. That's that's great. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, so definitely check those places out. Check out the book. Um, It's a really great read. I think it's really fascinating. Uh, Again, the impact space can have on your mood and your communication and what you're communicating to the world. So thanks so much for diving into kind of this unique subject matter with us. And yeah, just really appreciate your time today, Bill.
0: Well, I appreciate you having me on. This has been fun. Thanks, Bill.
1: Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the communication nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.